Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome back one of Europe's true OG LPs, Chris, co-founding partner of Isomer Capital. With an extensive career as a founder, startup mentor, and LP with more than 50 venture fund investments under his belt, Chris is the guy you should want to know. At Isomer, Chris co-leads their fund investments and leads their co-investment program and has a weekly section in the EUVC newsletter where he shares his perspectives and learnings from the week gone by. Tune in for the second part of a two-part episode where we reflect on the year that has gone by and predict what is in stock for 2023. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Chris, thank you so much for joining me once more for yet another recording here on the final day of the year. Almost, I think it's it's actually the day before, so it's not the very final day. But we had a recording yesterday where we were meant to do an end of year review, but we ended up talking for quite some time. I think it ended at 50 minutes. Just you and I diving into your story and how Isomer came to be and the philosophy that you carry with you as an uh, LP investor. So now let's get to the real topic that we were actually meant to talk through yesterday, which is the end of your review. I would love to ask you to first take me through your positive vibes for 2022, because God knows that it's been a tough year. So let's start there and just put things in perspective. Well, thank you, Andres. And it has been a tough year, but... I suppose the biggest thing that I've been thinking about is this word called sentiment, investor sentiment. Are people comfortable investing in the future? That is the essence of everything we do in venture capital, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a VC or a fund of funds like Isomer Capital. And it's been a difficult year for sentiment. But I wanted to start with three topics that are really positive. And they're not in venture. They're actually in technology. And I think they're three examples of where investors in general can say technology is good, and therefore we must invest in it for the future. And the first is around the subject of nuclear fusion. There was a breakthrough towards the end of this year just outside San Jose at the National Ignition Facility in the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, where a positive fusion reaction occurred. This, everybody, has been a dream for over 70 years. Imagine a 70-year venture capital experiment. So clearly it's a government-funded project, but here's what happened. They fired a bunch of lasers at a very specific target that actually got so hot, it created that nuclear fusion reaction and more energy came out than they put in. Now, we're still a long way from having fusion reactions 
Raptors. But this is a really, really important step. And God knows we've been talking about energy this year. So whilst we can't say that, you know, this is a result that will solve today's energy's problems, it is absolutely going to solve the future energy problems and in a way that is so wonderfully green and so wonderfully useful to us going forward. International collaboration, by the way, which moves me on to my second point, which is a truly international collaboration, and that's the good old James Webb Telescope. The James Webb Telescope is the replacement of the Hubble Telescope. It was a collaboration with many organizations, the principal ones being the European Space Agency and NASA. And essentially, they spent the last 20 years building a telescope that could be sent to about a million miles away from the Earth, on the other side of the Earth from the Sun, because it's going to be detecting infrared wavelengths which are, enables that telescope to look further back in time and to be able to look into the planets and the structure of planets that are hundreds of millions of light years away. This is a phenomenal experiment. But there's many hundreds of things I could tell you about why this is a phenomenal example of technology working. For example, from the day there was liftoff, around Christmas of 2021, there was 400 single points of failure, which meant if any one of those points failed, the whole project would go. One of the fundamental things about measuring wavelengths at where it's infrared is you need to have your telescope at around minus 230 degrees. So even though you're on the other side of the Earth from the sun and a million miles away to that wonderful astronomical thing called the Lagrange two point, which simply means there's gravity interacting where it stays pretty much where it is and isn't orbiting around anything, it's orbiting around an axis. And you put this huge gold foil tennis court size shield up. So this thing of clearly was all folded up and it launched. It went all the way a million miles and then they started unfolding this tennis court size thing that is a human hair thickness. They did all that. It is working. Go to NASA's website and you can see the most marvelous sights going forward. An incredible testament to technology. And the third area if you want me to continue with this monologue, is, <laughs> yes, is in medical science. In medical science, 2022 was an incredible year. We now have cancer treatments for over 19 different types of tumors. Several of those were developed and proven, and they were breakthroughs this last year. We've had the first set of drugs that can slow the decrease of cognitive decline when people have Alzheimer's. A small step, but a really important step to understand how to solve this terrible disease. We have new drugs in obesity. The really interesting point about the medical and pharmaceutical development 
is this is the preserve of actually big companies. So it's not really sort of venture capital that's doing this. They are increasing their capital. So innovation is within those corporations, but they are having to take some of the real lessons that we know well in venture, and that is to take risks. And the biggest thing that created this sort of different type of approach to medicine was COVID-19. COVID-19 had a phenomenal problem. Develop a new vaccine within months, what would normally take years. They had a platform called the RNA protein platform that enables that you could create and you could design things that would kill the virus and actually let it be injected into the body and that would then create the antibodies and this is the fundamental of RNA and this is something that's been around for some time but nobody's really had the guts to actually deploy it unproven now i'm not here to say that the covid vaccinations were unproven and we're talking about fractions of changes of risk here but it became more entrepreneurial now what are all those these three things Fusion, James Webb, and this wonderful enhancements in the medical science have to do with us. Well, they're all wonderful examples of technology developing. They were all projects that were very much like venture projects, wildly over budget and took much longer to develop. There were pivots along the way, particularly on how to get to this positive fusion reaction which was not the way they thought they were going to do it originally. And things were becoming entrepreneurial, as I mentioned. So you've got this perseverance that is so fundamental to what we do in venture. We've got things pivoting, which means letting go of things that you believe to be the case of how to do things and trying a new different approach. And you had entrepreneurship because the goal was always far greater than actually the energy and effort that you had to put in. And that's a very positive thing. And this all happened in 2022. Yeah, and that, that is definitely something that's important to remember. <laughs> uh, we have in Denmark, we have a newspaper that comes out once a year, which is uh, calls itself the world's best news. And then it collects the best news of yesteryear and goes through that. And I think that it is an important reminder to all of us every time we sit back and think about what has actually happened on the positive side of a year, even though we every day in the news hear about the, all the terrible things, because that's, of course, <laughs> kind of what we need to really be on top of, because that's the stuff that can affect us negatively. So for that reason, it gets a lot of press, of course. And I think it's important at this time to also take the time to think about the positive things. But Chris, the innovations that you are bringing up here are all in the realm of what we might call hard tech. It's not software. It's not e-scooters. It's not that kind of thing. I am curious to hear what your thoughts are, you know, when these are the things that you bring out when you look back on the year and think, what are the good things that have happened? And then at the same time, we're in an industry that at times can feel very, very focused on the shiny objects rather than the important changes in the world. What are your thoughts as an LP and you are a steward of other people's capitals, you need to make returns. But at the same time, we're also all here because we want to have an impact. Yeah, it is interesting. 
you know, we at Isoma claim that we are not an impact investor, and yet nearly 40% of the 1,600 companies in the portfolio have some direct connection to the United Nations Sustainability Goals. We're seeing more and more funds and companies, we'll talk about it a bit later, focused on climate change and carbon reduction, etc. That's really important. But that is one side of venture capital. The other side of venture capital, which, you know, is the one that gets attacked and the one that actually can work and cannot work, which is essentially the digitization of our world. And if you think there are enough fintech companies, enough delivery companies, enough everything that you might say is not deep tech. I saw a wonderful presentation this year that talked about the big fundamental sectors, finance, retail, agriculture, industry, manufacturing, etc. Less than 10% of those industries are digitized. So there is still a huge appetite and a huge need, and that will come from venture capital, for sure. There is just this amazing ability for people to try things. You know, why do entrepreneurs do well? Because they try something. If it fails, they pivot, they move. And that is done literally within months, whereas a big corporation would take years. The, the projects I talked about earlier have been going for 20, 25 years. You know, I mean, that's how long these projects take. Here, we can try new models and we can try new ideas and, and we can really, really move forward with that. There is a balance. There's a balance from building a successful venture capital portfolio between those two things, between the sustaining sort of things that are going to be really important for the planet and those things that actually are necessary to create greater efficiencies, to create a life that's easier for people. And there is frivolous nonsense that would have got backed in the last couple of years and will not be in the future. I'm curious because as an LP that you typically also in the LPAC of the funds you back, and yeah. there are definitely also funds being backed by LPs that have other motivations than purely financial. Do you ever see VCs struggling with other LPs that are trying to affect the fund's focus, especially in the more impact-directed funds? Because there are LPs that expect stuff that, well, you as a purely financial investor or at least financial investor first at all times. Yeah, no, it, it's a great point. And look, there are funds and there are pockets of government funds that are specifically for impact. And to enable those investments to be made, there must be an impact measure. My issue with it is how on earth do you determine what is going to be the impact of a carbon capture company when they're still figuring out the technology of how it's going to work? So the endless debates that I have been involved in is, okay, you've made an investment in a company. Now, what is the impact measure? And these actually, let's be clear here, in some cases, these are significantly important objectives that impact the GPs carry mm -hmm. in some cases. 
So this is not trivial, right? This is not just a nice to have where you have a KPI that you meet or you don't meet. My problem with it is, is if you don't build significant flexibility, then you've got a objective that you created at the beginning of a company's life that may be completely irrelevant. The impact may be 10 times more, but in a different area. Uh, it's, it's difficult and it's a time where we're, we're getting approached by more impact funds that are saying, do you know anyone else doing this? I'd love to spar with someone. So it's definitely something that has an LP appetite for us, Will, especially the put your money where your mouth is piece <laughs> so that, that you tie carry as well. So I think it's very relevant to be discussing on this show as well. But and yeah. we'll have more about that for sure. Yeah. I have another question and that is a bit, it's, it's again back to this because we just spoke about some very large land winds or whatever we, we should call that in technology that to me embody VC in the sense that it's, it's, it takes a long time. There's a lot of risk associated to it, all these things. That is what I have liked about the last two years, if I should say anything, right? That we have, of course, had all the bad investments or the types of investments that I personally have not been very fond of seeing, where it's a bit pie in the sky kind of investments. But it has also given room to, especially in Europe, more GPs that focus on the moonshot investment. Where in Europe, we have tended to have more GPs that look for the three axes and look for more we just want to have the execution risk. We don't want technology risk. We don't blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of ends up being a hybrid of private equity and VC in the sense that it's, it's private equity type risk at the same time as it's a young company. And I'd love to hear, because now I'm starting to see the arguments for that type of investing come up a lot in both uh, uh, news media, but especially also on LinkedIn, which is something I haven't seen for a long time, because for a long time, it's been risk, risk, risk. We're all ready to take it because we know there'll come funding rounds afterwards. And it's okay that it'll take a lot of money and a lot of time. Now, people are starting to say profitability, and that's all good. But if you, that will also come with a lower risk tolerance to, you know, when will I actually be able to make money on this? Because most projects in hard tech will not be profitable in three years. What are your reflections there, Chris? Because it's a trend that have kind of been provoking me a bit because I have loved to see VC become more American in Europe than what we come from historically. It's a great question. And look, at the VC level and the fund of funds level, like Isomer, you're building a portfolio. So you can afford to take some risk with companies that are really moonshots and then you can afford to have some that are sort of slightly sort of less risk in the most risky areas one has to ask the question is the goal really meaningful because if it is meaningful then there will be others that will be willing to back it whether that's government grants whether that's loans whether that's impact investing or et cetera, et cetera. And we'll, you know, we have spent a lot of time looking at climate tech funds. And one of the really interesting debates is that the more thoughtful ones are saying, okay, well, look, we're going to back this new science, this whole new idea of new batteries or a new way to recharge batteries extremely quickly. This will take tens of millions of capital way beyond the capacity of the fund 
but here's how we figured out how this can work. And I think that kind of long-term sort of funding thinking, and that doesn't necessarily mean equity. It could mean other sources as well. And in fact, the job of the VC, the typical VC that an ISOMO would back is to nurture the company to build a technology that actually is proven. It does what it says it does. And then you find other types of capital to yeah. scale it. Thank you for helping me think through that. I hope it also helps some in the audience to think through this period and whether, whether we should yeah. still pursue moonshots. Chris, now let's get to the negative vibes. Tell me, you know, there has been a lot <laughs> to be sorry about in, in this year. Yeah. And I also know what you're going to say. So I will say to our listeners, brace for impact because it's not been a great year, neither. Or that is also very reflected in what you're going to say now. Yeah, this is tough. And it's new to all of us. There are very few alive that have seen a war on our doorstep in Europe. I remember being taken round the European Parliament in Brussels by a young person that worked for Nigel Farage, who was very keen on Brexit and He told me all the negative things about the European Parliament. And at the end of it, it, I said to him, well, you know, it seems a bit odd that mankind would build such a massive building and have all these people come and absolutely no good comes out of it at all. That doesn't sound quite a balanced picture. And he scratched his head and he was young, so he was being truthful, which is always a joy of young people. He said, yeah, I guess this institution has prevented any wars since its inception. I thought, well, that was a meaningful sort of probably thing to say. But look, Ukraine, and I'm going to talk about the consequences of Ukraine in a minute, but I think it would be very unfair and just very um, inappropriate not to say that, yes, we have high energy prices and we have inflation and we have all the difficulties that this war has created on sentiment in our industry, but over a thousand people every day, humans, whether they're Russian or they're Ukrainian, and you may have views on which ones you care about, but that's not the point. The point is over a thousand people have died every day in 2022. Now, this is my estimate, but based on some research that I think is not far off. And that is an extremely sad fact, because clearly those thousand people have parents, have sisters, have brothers, have relations, and they're having a devastating time. And I think we should just think about that as we worry about all the consequences of this war. I mean, let's also think about all the people who have a lot less food than they were planning to have because of the grain shipment stoppage going into the Bosphorus between Turkey, etc. And that is, to us, a really human point. And what has been extremely heartening is the incredible number of micro projects that our VCs and other VCs and people in general have done to try and support Ukraine and its struggle in this environment. 
The other thing I wanted to say before moving into the consequences that, that affect us is that when energy prices go up and food gets more expensive and everything gets more expensive, it is a tragedy of our time and it is a tragedy that this remains the case in 2022 that the poorest are most hard hit and their ability to survive, their ability to be resistant to disease is heartbreaking. And so just think about those things that I've just said. I do a lot when we worry about the relatively less impactful points. But look, what has happened at a super macro level? What has happened is this 40-year experiment with low interest rates, and it really is that long, is over for the time being. And we don't know when it comes back. And when I was doing some reading about low interest rates, and I hadn't really understood just how impactful they've been in private equity and venture capital. Because when you have low interest rates, investing in more risky assets becomes a reasonable thing. It becomes possible. It becomes sensible. So the risk appetite becomes a lot easier to accept. When you have interest rates of 4 or 5%, and you say, well, actually, why would I invest in something that has risk that I don't know what the outcome is when I can get 4 or 5%? So I think there's a dramatic change in that regard. GPs are going to be saying, the cost of capital has changed. And indeed, to your earlier point, Andreas, it's going to be saying, we're going to be a bit more careful how we deploy this capital. And so that's a, another impact. And the fact is with founders, whether you're a consumer or a B2B business, the impact of inflation, the impact of interest rates on people that buy stuff, you know, even if you're a B2B business, in the end, there's a consumer who's funneling sort of capital or monies into the system to allow the whole machine to work, to buy products, to enable more efficient processes, et cetera, to make all that sort of work. And if that slows down and stops, then revenues start to close. So, so we're in a very, very interesting period, but it's not all dark because there are opportunities for entrepreneurs to recognize the environment that they're in and say, what do people want? Well, what people want is quality at lower prices. They want to have things that maybe is more energy efficient or these, these other aspects, and that creates opportunity. And I always come back to, and I'm feeling my lowest on all these things, to this point that you know necessity is the mother of invention and if that is a concept that feels a bit odd then just think about covid vaccines there had to be a vaccine to save lives it happened yeah. and so therefore i think this necessity is actually driving a lot of people to do interesting things but i come back to my first point let's not feel too bad about ourselves because we're not being shot at I have one question which will sound incredibly detached from the sentence you just said, but I wanted just to bid on the interest rate and the asset allocation strategy that you see 
with LPs, obviously not isomer, but we have for some time, you know, longstanding truth has been that an LP should probably shouldn't put more than 5% in alternative assets and investable assets. And we have then had some reports about especially the American foundations, the, the American endowments having increased their exposure to venture capital incredibly or private equity incredibly, some of them all the way up to 30, 40%. And that's, of course, as you said, tied to the interest rate. But have you seen already people coming back from that in your own conversations with fellow LPs and with your own as well? I think there's definitely a change in sentiment. I think that venture as an asset class in Europe remains attractive and remains interesting. And I think there are people who invest in venture capital globally will be allocating whatever that percentage is, whether it's five or 30%, will be allocating more to Europe because this fundamental magical ingredient of Europe remains, and that is we build very successful businesses with less capital. And that is still the case. And it, I hope it remains the case because it is such an attractive asset to be invested in. Based on that, I think that European fund managers should, to a larger extent in the coming years, think about LP capital from outside of Europe? I think that depends, actually. I think that depends on where you are in your fund or firm evolution. I think it's tough as a emerging first-time manager to convince people from other parts of the world. Not impossible, of course, but I think that's quite difficult. But I think a fund two, fund three, where the track record has been good. And look, the track record in the last 12 months may be relatively static. It may actually be quite flat. But how you talk about the actions and the activities that you've been doing with the portfolio, I think will enable you to engage with LPs because they'll understand that you realize the world has changed and this is what you've been doing about it. So uh, as ever, I mean, yes, of course, track record is always important, but actually what's really important is, have you invested in some great companies? Are you supporting those great companies and are those companies still great? Yeah. Is the more meaningful conversation rather than I've got a 2.7x because I haven't marked anything <laughs> down because of the in the change of so so I just think you know talking about the details of your business as your fund is always the more useful thing to be doing rather than just shouting numbers out and hope no one asks any questions. I I do have one final question though because on the the stupid number of 3x or 5x <laughs> because we have had over the the last year or the at least over the last two years we've had many conversations or LPs out there saying I remember one on Samia Kachi's show where they were all very quick to come to the agreement well the standard is 5x now don't raise on the back mm -hmm. of a 3x model raise on the back of a 5x model what is your reflection on that? I, I've never even asked you the last two years what you thought about that, but also now, because obviously 
you know, that is going to be difficult for someone who launched the fund in the last two or three years. I think it's a minor factor. I think it's a nonsense. As I said a few minutes ago, I think it's about the portfolio that you're building, the thoughtfulness of that portfolio. I think, you know, what's in that? What is the potential of these things? Are these real companies? Are these companies that people need? Are they useful? Are they going to be significant? And what is the long-term potential? Because there is a little unsaid thing in your 3X, 5X monologue, and that is, you mean on paper. And actually what we've got to really dig into as LPs and understand is, are these companies that are doing something meaningful that somebody will want to buy? Or at some future point, you know, when the world comes back, will be able to IPO. Is there the management strength? Is there the skill? Is there the scalability? Is there the marketplace to build a business that could be that successful? Is there a genuine uniqueness in these companies that a Microsoft or <laughs> Apple, Google, et cetera, et cetera, said, oh, yeah, we really need to have that. That is the conversation. The unrealized number is just a magic calculation that, that has been made to support some sort of strength. It's an indicator, but boy, is it a small indicator. The learning that people listening in here can then also take from that is them being GPs racing. Well, make sure to pitch that, right? <laughs> make sure to not just have a deck that shows that you're going to do 5X or whatever, but make sure that you actually show the underlying assets or the strength of them because it, it, it's that is what you need to be tested on rather than just that number the most exciting vc meetings that we have whether it's someone we know well or someone we're meeting for the first time they come in and say can we tell you what we're up to and let's go through the portfolio and they tell stories about you know three or four of the companies and the ones we really like are the ones that said you know, we backed this company early. We made a mistake here. Actually, we backed the wrong founder. It's been really hard. It's been really difficult because that is venture capital. And actually sort of saying, you know, the thoughtfulness of what they're doing about it and how they're going to figure that out. A, the transparency of that conversation, but also the content of that conversation is far more engaging than an arms-waving 5X sort of, which is just worth the ink on the slide. Chris, let's get to round this segment of uh, end of your review off. I would love to ask you to just not end us on the terrible down round, yeah. <laughs> but rather tell me a bit about what do you think that we, standing here on the uh, second to last day of the year, thinking forward, why should we not just all be disheartened by what we have just gone through? Because we have the great privilege of investing in marvelous VCs, and they have the great privilege of investing in marvelous entrepreneurs. And I want to finish this session talking about some of the entrepreneurs without mentioning their names, because I have been deeply and I really mean deeply impressed with their resolve, 
and their attitude and their ability to change as the market changed. I think about a company in our portfolio that had horrible supply chain issues at the beginning of the year, went and found one of the best supply chain experts, hired them, started to resolve problems, and then as a result is in a much better place today. That fortitude, that ability to say, we're carrying on, we're going to fix this when everything looks so dark, is so deeply impressive. I think about a founder whose company's revenues have grown 2x in 2022, unit economics probably 18 months better than the forecast, and then decides to take a 30% cut in, in all the payroll and therefore letting people go because he is concerned about 2023. That is a maturity that I wish some big companies had, frankly. And so it's that wonderful sense that your capital, however it's come, whether it's from fund of funds or whether it's from GP, in many cases is in very good hands and very mature hands. The final thing I want to talk about is this whole climate change, carbon capture, carbon reduction. We saw in 2022 a doubling of those types of companies in our portfolio, which meant our generalist VCs are, are now backing things that are changing carbon dioxide into green petrochemicals, improving the efficiencies of wind turbines and stuff like that. But the other really interesting thing that the wonderful Isomer team have been working on is VCs focused on climate change. And as I mentioned recently, we kind of need to have a critical mass of VCs in a particular sector before we make a bet on the sector. And it's really wonderful to see all those people who are doing that. And there's some very good candidates there. I think we're about to choose one that we think is certainly the best for us. And that's an important point. It fits our strategy. It doesn't mean the other ones are not good at all, actually. It just means the ones that fit our strategy best. But that's really impressive. And it's another frontier technology where Europe does so well in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I have one question just in the climate part, uh, and then we'll go to the quick fire. But we have seen some massive funds be launched in the climate space. And that is something that has kind of surprised me a bit, like 300 million euro first time funds, 250, that type of size. What is your reflection on that? Do you have any at all? First of all, it's not for Isomer. We have a pretty clear view on what is an optimal fund for what we do, which is investing into early stage. You have got two fundamental challenges. You've either got to be an extremely experienced VC with a fund that size and understand the science behind the climate change space. I would suggest that's quite rare, Yeah, the combination of those two points. My thought as well. Okay, Chris, on that note, let's go to the quickfire round. This is the uh, 30 to 60 second round uh, where I will ask you three questions. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> First question, what areas 
technologies or sectors excite you the most that other people don't really feel that excited about? I'm excited about business models that work. You know, it's really interesting. I'm super excited about companies that in whatever sector they are, that you see those unit economics really, really working because that means that somebody wants what they're doing and they're buying it and therefore they're able to make efficiencies, etc. So I'm becoming more and more excited about those business models that really, really work. You know, we will be announcing next year co-investment that we made in a surprising area because the unit economics, the ability to collect data at every single level to tweak and to move and to be able to really understand how that business works. That's not answering your question, not doing it in a time, but that's my answer. I love it. Now the, the question that I'm sure many of our listeners have been looking forward to hear from you, which is what are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are fundraising right now? Keep going. If you can convince people that you have something to add to European venture capital, whether that's VC knowledge or whether that's company knowledge or whether that's some other skill set area, then you will get funded eventually. But take it from us. You know, this is not an easy route. This is not a get rich quick program. This is a very hard program, but the rewards are phenomenal going forward. And when I say rewards, by the way, I mean the sense you're doing something yeah, good. Absolutely. Final question. What is the most counterintuitive thing you have learned in venture? Well, I've been thinking about and receiving input on the subject of whether entrepreneurs make good VCs. And this is a, clearly a really obvious, positive point. And yet, when you dig into the detail, you find all sorts of interesting bits of comments. In summary, I would say the entrepreneur who's a VC, who sits on the board and actually remembers that he or she built a company X years ago in a different space, The market has moved on and therefore is acting as a friendly coach as opposed to a prescriptive, you need to do this because I did that, then you're a great entrepreneurial VC. If you're, if you're trying to relive your former entrepreneurial glory through the eyes of something that's probably completely different in a completely different sector, in a completely different market, completely different business model, then probably you shouldn't. Yeah, very, very good point. And and yes, and that's the hybrid that we have all seen for ages with business angels that come from lawyer backgrounds or small business backgrounds or corporate backgrounds and want to do angel investments and then think they should run the show. And I think that it is absolutely true, Chris, that we're bound to have the same conversation around founders and operators turned VCs that not all of them are uh, as great because they cannot keep their hands off the wheel. You know, when I think about this, I think use your entrepreneurial experience to ask questions, not to inform. Yeah, and I think I and I actually think uh, let's send this on a commercial for the episode that we recorded just yesterday and which at the time this will be launched will have been launched a couple of days before because that's where we dive into exactly that and you come with that entrepreneurial experience. So I guess it's also been a bit of soul searching for you to <laughs> to explore whether you make a good business. 
Well, look, look, you know, I, I, like everybody else, I'm still learning. I'm on this road to enlightenment, as we've discussed before, to being semi-useful for everybody. Let's end on that note, being semi-useful. That, that would be amazing if we could get to that stage. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Indeed. This was amazing. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. 